And when I started having conversations with people, I learned so many horrific things. You don't see that many women mentioned as, oh, they've done this, or here's an example of good. But it's my baby, it's not his baby. He joined the business when I was already like, you know, three years old. And I have people hanging up on me or swearing at me. Uh, that's gonna demolish me. You're watching the Misfit Founders Podcast, a raw conversation about the challenges of building businesses, overcoming hardships, and also feeling out of place. I'm Biro, an exited founder, investor, and advisor who failed quite a few businesses in the past. My mission with Misfit Founders, to help at least one founder every single month by unveiling the authentic stories of other founders and providing guidance and support. So I hope you enjoy the podcast today and get useful insights out of it. And if you do, do join the conversation on our WhatsApp community, where we discuss topics like this one in this podcast, in group, as well as uh, private sessions. Link in the video description. Also, please subscribe to this YouTube channel so that you get notified when we publish new videos. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for joining me. And actually, I was thinking today, you are the first guest that's not someone that I already knew. Okay. Uh, or founder friends, in a sense. Everyone that I had, I had four other interviews. Everyone were founders that I knew from my network. So I think it's a good sign. Okay. <laughs> it means that the podcast is um, quite hopefully um, getting a bit of uh, a bit of attention, a bit of traction, and, and it's not just my me and my friends talking about our problems uh, anymore. So thank you for joining. Um, if you can, just a couple of words of who you are and, and the elevator pitch of your business. Okay, cool. Firstly, thank you very much for inviting me to, to join your storytelling uh, project. So my name is Katrina Blake, and I am a female founder, a mentor for young creatives and entrepreneurs a gender equality advocate and a lifestyle influencer, so to speak. And I run a creative agency that helps global brands like Aston Martin, England Rugby and Intel mm -hmm. engage their audiences online with strategic video production and reliable live streaming solutions. And we deliver projects across the UK, Europe, Middle East and the US. Mm -hmm. And we prioritize 50-50 gender split ac across all of our productions because video is one of the most powerful uh, forms of storytelling. That's yeah. why you also capture this wonderful podcast. Yes, exactly. Uh, but if we only have male storytellers, we can only tell half of the story. Oh, yes, 100%. And I think that's when you think of um, an inclusive type of product, you want to have an inclusive team to work on that product is I think is the only way to to be able to create something that doesn't just I don't know um, tailor to a specific gender or um, a type of audience so uh, I completely agree and how do you do that so what does that actually mean how does that look so in our production team so all of our uh, camera operators producers directors editors so mm -hmm. we make sure that we have a 50 50 gender split so we invite people into our projects from both genders Traditionally, video production is a very male-dominated industry, especially when it comes to live streaming. So it's all ex-BBC people, ex-ITV people. We do a lot of like sports broadcasting as well, and this is just completely 
Uh, it's just a male lens, pretty much. And uh, But also when it comes to contributors, we always make sure that we interview people from both genders. And in post-production, we combat uh, some stereotypes and we make sure that we use inclusive languages because sometimes as a post-production producer like myself, mm-hmm. I look for footage and I say, oh, come on, like, you know, we can't say this thing. It's like, you know, as a woman, this is how you would... Um, understand it and it's right. not it's not appropriate so these are the things we do to make sure that our content is inclusive behind the camera in front of the camera and as a final product so in production as also i suppose you have um and how does that work so for example if you do some um you mentioned strategic content video content for these companies and by the way just make a parenthesis can you give some examples for people that might not know what that means what does that actually mean you mean what what type of video production yes. projects we deliver? When you mentioned, because you mentioned live stream, which yeah. I think a lot of people know what broadcasting and live stream is. Yeah. But when you you say strategic video content for yeah. companies, some examples or what does that entail? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, usually there is like a creative team and there is a marketing team and there is a massive gap between two. So the creative team is usually caring more about like the final viewer. They care about the, the content looking great, you know, oh, we're using these fantastic cameras and, you know, this is the storytelling bit. But they don't care about, they don't understand who's the target audience. They don't understand mm. what are the marketing objectives and the sales objectives of it. When I step into any production, I start asking deep questions about, like, what's our business strategy? What's our marketing strategy? What are our aligning goals to make sure that we create content with diversity and longevity? And we make sure that we hit the right target audiences. So I go really deep with the marketing approach to content creation rather than creating something that looks cool. You as a client get a download link with a three minute long video. And this is the end of your collaboration with the video production team. So for us, it's like a continuous uh, development of content, like, you know, throughout the relation, whilst the relationship lasts with the clients. Right. So you're you're basically what I'm uh, to, to make sure that I understand. You're involved in the pre-production as well as the post-production stuff. Yes, across all uh, aspects of video production. So mm. pre-production, yes, so I would do like meetings with the clients, trying to understand their objectives and making sure that we deliver upon those expectations. Quite right. often, I also take part in productions. So I'll be there as a camera assistant or a producer. Depends on what like role needs to be fill- filled in. And also as a like post-production, so I would be like a like exact producer, just watching through the final edits. Yeah. Uh, just making sure, like I said, you know, we combat uh, some stereotypes and making sure that our content is inclusive, but also that all of our marketing objectives have been achieved. But that's that's really great. It's great that you have an oversight of the entire process because I think that's the only way to actually really have an a, an impact to getting rid of some of those stereotypes. Because like you said, if, for example, if the production team uh, comes up with something and you in post-production go around and say, well, actually, we can't really use this because it's not the language that we're looking for. We need to rewrite the script or reshoot that scene and so on. So it, I think it's really good to for you uh, to be involved in all of that. And not just yourself, probably other um, individuals in the team that have that keen eye of you know this is what we're looking for when we create content that we want to be inclusive exactly and it's also about creating the atmosphere the safe and supportive atmosphere because what people don't quite understand is like imagine you're a contributor and you've been interviewed 
by a production team made up of six, eight blokes. And you stumble on your words and you're like, you just start feeling very, very anxious. And there is a bunch of people very like impatiently waiting for you to finally deliver that line. And like, you need to make sure that, you know, this, the atmosphere itself is also inclusive and safe, not just the final product. And when we do productions, let's say if it's a, a game coverage with uh, six camera operators, you know, is there something that goes on red button? Like you need to make sure that on that long broadcast days, which last by six, 16 hours, you know, you make sure that like when people get tired, etc., you know, like you create a culture where people feel supported and inclusive. So yeah, it just, it's, it's even, it's not just the content itself. It's also about the inclusivity of the atmosphere. The atmosphere, the vibe, the vibe of it, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious how, how did you get passionate about this topic? Is it, was it prior to getting into this industry? Have you, have you always been uh, an advocate? Or was it that you got into this industry that was super male dominant and realized ah, something needs to change and I'm, I'm seeing all of these things and I don't feel included and I must take action. What, what was, what got you to, to this point? Yes, yeah, it's, it's going to get deep now. So uh, I was lucky to be born in a family with lots of really strong and powerful women. So some of them were entrepreneurial, some of them were like, you know, teachers and professors and women who were first in their families to get higher education. So I never saw in front of me like a, a role model, like a traditional, like I'm, I'm Eastern European, like where a woman just take care of kids and the house and the husband is the provider. And when I stepped into the whole business world, I was just like, okay, it's all blogs in here. So whenever I would meet new people, male people, <laughs> I would just start behaving like a bloke. And they would love me for that because, you know, we like, we crack the same jokes and I'm being laddish or like being here in the UK, you know, like quoting in between us and all that kind of stuff. But then I realized that it's a coping me mechanism. It's not natural to me to behave yeah. this way. It's just, I'm trying to fit in. And when I came across difficult situations where I had to pick up arguments or I had to actually fight for my rights in the courts against my ex-employer, I realized that not every woman can be as strong as I am. You know, sometimes I feel this way. Sometimes I pretend I'm strong. So I fake it till I make it. But not everyone is this way. Oh, yeah. And even like I can be in the room with shouting blokes doing live production and I'll be fine with that. But not everyone is like this. And this is when I realized that to, to make a change, you don't just adapt to whatever is happening. You actually ch challenge the status quo and you just try digging deeper into the problems and understand where they come from. And why is it so that the video production industry is so male dominated? And when I started having conversations with people, I learned so many horrific things, all the way starting from like universities where, you know, like there is like a professor showing uh, you know, the, the, the group, like how to secure a camera up and they grabbed him by the belt mm. and like start, you know, like, <laughs> oh and, like imagine like being a, a girl, like an 18 year old, like in that university and like looking right. at this, you will immediately think that's not my thing, you know? And then you go to those like internships, you know, and like the, to get your workplace, but then suddenly you step into the room and like everyone is a man there just naturally. You know, some people would just think it's not for me, 
Whereas what was what it was for me, I was like, all right, I'll just behave like one of them. And I noticed that in my personal life, I started dressing up more like a man, you know, like mm. just picking up those habits, which took me further away from my female self. And this is like where I discovered in my psychology. It's like, you know, if you are trying to reject who you are, it's like, you know, being that airplane that only is operating on the, you know, like a backup engine, like you're not yeah, actually yeah. using your force. So, so yeah, this is how I slowly came into this whole like idea of like that I need to do something about it. I'm so passionate about it. And actually I'm in the position to make a change because I own a video production company. I choose people that work for me. I choose subcontractors to join my team. I'm in charge of the atmosphere. And I believe that if we do this and achieve this at InspiHub and be able to show to different people what are the benefits of those like inclusive productions, people will follow. I completely, completely agree with that. As as a co-founder uh, of a company where my partner and my co-founder is a female, I can 100% support and agree with that because we're the ones that should be shaping the future of how um, work and professional life is looked upon from an inclusive perspective. And like yourself yeah we we hired we wanted to make sure that we have um gender equality in the team and you know we have um a, a variety of thoughts and thinking in the team uh to things like the type of customers and the people the partners that we interact um in the ecosystem that we we are so we were quite analytical around these things quite a bit and again for me coming from, and I talked to in the previous podcast about this, for me coming from Eastern Europe, from a very traditional type of background, when I came to UK, um, I was influenced in a sense by what I knew from my childhood and, you know, the how people would see um, families traditionally in my country and so on and, and religion and a lot of other things. Um, it never really resonated with me. Um, the very traditional approach to basically living your personal and professional life. Um, and I think very quickly in UK, I, I learned just working in London and, uh, and amongst inclusive companies and people and teams, I've learned um, how I can help kind of remove that, some of the stigma and some of the bias around that. And you're absolutely right around the, you know, the film industry. Even if I think about, it, I started doing some, some courses from, um, from the New York University or something like that around filmmaking and film production and so on. I mentioned that I'm quite passionate about the same things that that you are. So I want to get better at, um, at the theory of it. And a lot of the examples and a lot of the when when they talk about the the history of filmmaking and heroes in the filmmaking industry in the history of filmmaking industry when it comes to directors when it comes to uh, uh, actors and people in in production you don't see that many women mentioned as oh they done this or here's an example of good in a sense so so that automatically influence influences you because it's this institutionalized um, you know, discrepancy in terms of, of genders when you promote a lot of the, the, the 
um, the examples that aren't very inclusive. And I get why it happens because that's part of the history and the history hasn't really been kind to women and, and, and so on. So, you know, when you talk history, I think, you know, that's what it is. But in the same time, we also have to learn to intertwine that with more recent examples of female being successful in these industry. Otherwise, we're just going to learn that dudes are good at this and no one else. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, this is what we're trying to achieve as well with like within our company and by partnering with other video production companies. For example, last year we put in an event that is called Women and Film. So we invited people, uh, female students from Brighton University and Brighton Film and Screen School to come and join us. And we had a panel talk and we had representatives there, like producers, directors, editors, owners of video production companies. And suddenly there was a room full of, you know, women interested in yeah, our industry. Yeah. And there was a, you know, the panel couch, you know, with six wonderful women, like telling about their stories. And the feedback was like, oh my God, like, I never had a chance to actually see a role model. You know, now I see the successful woman who is like, in post-production, you know, working on those amazing big films now i feel confident that i can achieve this because yeah. to believe in it you need to see it and but the problem is usually like those people who tell the stories of those inspiring you know inspiring creative people quite often also men and that's it's more natural for a man to have a chat with another man or for a woman have a chat with another woman and i would say it's very difficult to start talking about a pain problem if you have an experience in this yourself, you know, mm. probably if you didn't have a chance to build the business with your partner, Nikki, you know, and you didn't learn through her the challenges that she faced throughout, you know, her journey, you know, who knows, would I be yeah. sitting in this chair right now, you know, as a female representative of a, of a, a misfit founder? But then, yeah, there's, there's very likely that not and i was talking about this in a in a recent podcast about the fact that i was actually lucky that i've kind of learned what it means to to be empathetic and um and put yourself in the shoes of people that might feel excluded in certain um scenarios just because and i've learned it the hard way because i was you know a certain type of personality in the in the previous company that i was working um, and, and I was told off by my coach and my mentor that, oh, you are the way you are as a character and, and the way you talk, the way you behave is not very inclusive. And here's why. And I think that I got that um, a bit. I got to put myself in uh, the people's that I was affecting shoes and realize, yeah, actually, that's true. I need to think a bit about my behavior and so on, because I, I was like, I mean, no harm. Right. I mean, no harm. And that was my defense initially. But then I realized, oh, hold on a second, because, you know, if, if I would be this person, I would probably be a bit offended by by me saying this thing or being a bit more brash in a sense. Right. So but I was luck lucky to learn that in in an environment early on coming in this country, um, whereas and that helped me build a business that was inclusive and build a stronger relationship with Nikki, my partner, life partner and co-founder. Um, but I think a lot of people are not that aware, not just not aware, not taught, but also when explained, 
people might get defensive about it. So, oh no, but I mean no harm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not a bad person, right? But if you can't really be empathetic about it, you're never gonna change. Mm. And I think that's that's one of the challenges that I assume you're also facing, especially in a in an industry like filmmaking, where there's a lot of traditionalism in a sense. Oh, we film movies like this. This has always been working. This practice, this approach, this that. Yeah, the story of my life. <laughs> yeah, and, and people have this uh, this traditionalist uh, uh, mentality and approach, and it's hard to be empathetic when your mantra is, "This is what's good. It's proven. Why change?" Right. And the the el the older you get, uh, the more of a creature of a habit you become. And this sure. is definitely what's happening in our industry. It's like there is plenty of dinosaurs who've been doing things the way they've been doing. And they want to continue this way and they're not willing to listen to other people. And then the only way they listen is when suddenly their client decides to try a newer, fresher, younger yeah. company because they do things in, a, like in the right scope, which means they do things more affordably and quicker. And, you know, in our industry, let's say, when it comes to events coverage, and we're not talking about the live broadcast, we talk about let's say event highlights. You have a three-day conference and every day you have a set of activities that are happening. We film throughout the day and by evening, there is a video ready showcasing what happened today. Wow. When we show that to our like, you know, competitors, they're saying it's a joke. Like, you know, you just film everything and then later you do put this to post-production and then later you share this video about, you know, what an amazing conference we had. My perspective from as a marketeer is like, who cares about your event in three weeks time? 100% true, yeah. It has to be, we're now living in the reality where, you know, everyone is using social media and like, you know, you have those snippets, like, you know, of stories and then they run out in 24 hours. If you haven't seen it, like you, you've missed it. Yeah. You know, and when we do things like this, people are saying that you are crazy because this is how traditional things need to be done. But then the clients are like, oh, I need this now, 24 hours, like same day delivery, I need this. So bye-bye, you dinosaurs. We're gonna work with these guys because they're young, agile, and quick. But that's what usually happens is a top-down type of um, disruption and change because companies change the way they need things done because of their customers change. At the end of the day, customers were on a constant evolution of what customers consume, right? Because, you know, new generations, new approaches to media and consumption consumption and, and things like that. So companies that are your clients will constantly adapt around their customers. Absolutely. So you're right, eventually, eventually, I think sooner rather than later, companies like yourself that can be dynamic and understand the customer and the audience today and what they need um, will succeed versus, oh, I've always done this, this traditionally way. like this. I have that <laughs> issue sometimes as well. Like I, I, I get caught into all of these fancy things, cameras and doing the best quality of content ever. And Nikki, my partner over there with her phone, um, doing a couple of TikToks and getting a lot more attention and involvement and engagement that I am. Um, <laughs> and being able to churn content a lot faster than I am because I'm a bit like, oh, but I like my 
way of doing things. So I understand. But then it. at the same time, you know, there is like this is what we call a strategic video production, and this is where the mar video marketing comes into place. There is a platform like TikTok, and if you put something very polished there, it's probably not going to work out, you know. Yeah. But let's say it's a live stream or Formula One race, you know, like you just can't do this with a few DSLRs, you know, and hope for the best. Like, you yeah. know, it's a it's a big production that needs to have like seamless, a seamless stream, you know, and so many things are dependent on it. So there's certain productions that actually require high quality and it needs to be, you know, this. Yeah. Depends on what is their, what's their agenda and what's the goal that's behind this content. Especially if you're trying to create an everlasting content, of course, investing into 4K footage will last you from, you know, many years ahead. So Very true. You're trying to make me feel better for investing way too much money in this studio. Thank you. <laughs> Believe me, I've, I've spent enough money on video production equipment, so I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's good. You understand me. <laughs> Maybe you'll need to tell Nikki as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, talking about your business and this um, filmmaking industry, I want to ask, how did you get here were you always interested in this field or how did you get to have a production company so i'm an accidental entrepreneur so i wasn't planning to start a business so when i was 24 i lost my job and uh whilst fighting for my rights in the court i was figuring out can i ask, sorry um to interrupt can i ask what, what was the job if you can tell me. Yeah, yeah yeah so i had a senior role uh in a fintech startup company mm -hmm. back in Helsinki and very suddenly I lost my job and I believe that was an illegal dismissal and right. after a year and a half of very very tiring court processes I won the case so but whilst I was you know fighting for my rights I was trying to figure out what to do because I was a 24 year old foreign woman in Finland and because I was given in this previous company, um, I was given so much responsibility there and I was doing so many different things there and I was running the team. I was like, only another startup will give me an opportunity like this without looking down at my age and thinking, come on, you're too young for that. Um, but if I go to a traditional company, so I will be like bottom of the chain. And at that point, I spoke to my then mentor and he said that uh you're so entrepreneurial you know and i don't want to be this angry unsatisfied uh who at the age of 35 looks back when she was 24 and just feels like that was the biggest regret i should have mm. started something adventurous you don't have a mortgage you don't have kids why don't you try to do something i was like all right, you know, and that was 2017. And if you remember, that was the year when everyone was making two side marketplaces. Mm. It was something where you merged, like my idea was to put together micro influencers with micro businesses because influencer marketing was popular. Like people knew what it's like to, you know, collaborate with like a, like a blogger who has a million followers or like a celebrity, like an athlete or something. But the whole new wave of, uh, micro-influencing was coming into place and but you know and obviously small businesses they don't have the same budgets as the big businesses so the idea was to build a technology where they can meet but I started looking into the market and I realized that the country where I tried to do this was not ready for this whatsoever mm -hmm. and now looking back some of my friends and mentors and like business businessy people saying I was just too ahead of the game it's now coming into place where like a micro influencers start collaborating with big and small businesses. So 
I realized, okay, I'm giving up on this idea because it's, it's not going to work now. And what I knew best was marketing because my background was in marketing before I changed into more like operational role in that startup. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I'll just going to do marketing because I have an agency experience. So I'll just do that. And soon I realized that when I started doing those services for small businesses and startups is that they just need more than just content marketing because this is what I wanted to do originally. They need to have marketing strategies. They need to get their website sorted. Yeah. They need to get like their Google ads sorted. And I was like, and I need money. So I'm going to do all of this just to make sure that, you know, I stay afloat because all my savings like were running out, you know, and the corporate loan I took for starting my business, you know, was getting really, really dry. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I just kind of started picking up clients um, that were startups first in Finland. And at the same time, I met my now husband and um, he is from the UK. And we had a discussion like, where are we going to leave? You know, and then one of us needs to move. And the decision was made that I'll be the one moving. So I moved to the UK, took my business there, was managing my clients remotely and just carried on doing startup marketing. So this is what the business was like for... Uh, three and a bit years. Can I ask yeah. before going to the next phase, which uh, I think I, I know <laughs> what's the next phase. Um, with that move from Helsinki, so you moved from Helsinki to, to UK, London, yeah, to London, and you had a business there. Yeah, how was that transition? Can you tell me a bit about um, how you moved the the company? Did you manage to take your customers with you? Um, did you have any challenges along the way with operating a business that was originally with customers in Helsinki from London? Interesting enough, even though the business was in Helsinki, the clients that I had there, they were actually in Sweden, Austria. And I started working with some UK clients as well. Mm -hmm. So actually, I didn't have any clients that were based in Helsinki and required my you know, physical right. presence. So I I kept my limited company there and I was just processing invoices through that company pretty much. Mm -hmm. But the work was delivered all virtually. So there was a graphic designer who worked with me from day one. So she was based in Helsinki if I needed her to do anything to help me out, like with some documentations, whatever. But actually it was a very easy move for me. So and I kept that business there for like a few years until I finished all those projects and then I closed it down. But here in the UK, my husband, he was a freelancer with a limited company. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I moved here, I, started, I got my, my first clients. And I was just processing like payments through his business because it just right. just was easy pretty much. Yeah. We, we were pretty much like two freelancers working and putting money through the same LTD. So He yeah. was a freelancer as well? Yeah, he was a freelance uh, a TV director producer. I find that... Uh, I commend that, to be honest. I've done freelancing for, I think, three years. My first three years in, in, in London was freelancing when I came to this country. And I find <laughs> it so difficult, be mainly because, one, the uncertainty of, of getting work. That was a very big stress for me. And I want to figure out how you deal with that because you're in the services business, right? Uh, that, was a, that was a big challenge for me. And then it was just figuring out pricing and how do I balance properly my time versus <laughs> charging enough. And I always felt that I was lacking in that sense. Mm. And 
moving into SaaS, I feel that there's so many blueprints and so many best practices and tutors and classes out there on how to price and how to structure your SaaS business. Um, I still feel that there's not that much um, teaching around how do you how do you own and grow your services business, freelancing or contracting or servicing. So um, I guess let's we'll come back to that because I'm quite curious on how you go over some of these um, hurdles. Uh, but let's continue with with the story. So you had the marketing business for a couple of years here in, in London. And uh, what was the next phase? So then the business was growing. So we started getting like bigger startups and bigger retainers. So I needed to hire people and we grew to the team of seven. At that mm -hmm. point, we also had some support, like a freelancing support. And I felt pretty comfortable, like the way things were. And because it was a like retainer contract, so I could forecast my cash. So I knew how much money is coming. And if for whatever reason, you know, the contract was ending just because for the duration or the client was moving on somewhere or stopping their business, that I knew how to foresee any challenges mm -hmm. because there was like two month notice periods and all of that. So, but during that time, uh, so that was COVID. This is where we grew really, really fast. And on the opposite to my husband, like he had... Before COVID, he had a very successful like TV career. Like he's one of the youngest like live directors in the UK, and he's been like put on very very big shows and gained a lot of like trust and credibility. But during COVID, like all of the sports and music events dried out, so he was pretty much out of a job. And because he was a freelancer, so there was no company that could follow him, you know, and like pay him money. Like mm. so, he 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 did, he couldn't do anything. And I invited him to join the business, not like, you know, just put your cash through my business, it's okay, and get it out, you know, but actually join the business, join the forces, and can you help me out? Because I was just getting really, really tired. So he joined, like, as a copywriter, and he started helping me with some business operations. And then I told him, like, I'm so sick and tired of seeing you as this, like, very creative, very talented person but all the perks goes to the production companies you work for. You mm -hmm. like you get your daily rate as a freelancer. You have so much responsibility on yourself. And, you know, but at the end of the day, like, you know, they get the benefits, they yeah. get their contracts prolonged and you are just left, you know, with potentially another freelance gig, you know, next year for the next event. Mm -hmm. So I said, why don't you join the business and we start pushing like the whole video production aspect forward because it's been a big passion of mine since I was young. Like I always loved like, filmmaking and I had a video camera and I used to film our like trips with my family and then when the whole concept of like Instagram came and stories and I was filming those at some point I had a YouTube channel and I was talking about live in Finland and like one of my most famous videos got like 200,000 views or something oh wow so yeah I was is that just, still on it's still, still, it's still it? there yeah, you it's send still me there. the link I want to <laughs> watch that if you want to learn what are the pros and cons of uh, live in Finland so I was I was so passionate about this, but I, I wanted to do more of this. And it felt quite natural because some of our clients were asking for video production services. So we started delivering some small and big projects. And then because the whole COVID was so tiring, you know, the mm -hmm. whole process of being locked up, my business was growing really fast. I had no idea about, like you know, psychology and traumas. The whole subject was very new to me. So I, I, didn't, I was not seeing how I was burning out. Mm -hmm. And in March, 2021, I burned out. So I just found myself laying in bed, not being able to get up. 
No one told me about burnouts before. No one saw that coming in me because whenever I'm with people, like, you know, I'm always like bubbly and, you know, positive, etc. So it was, I was just pretty much like dying inside and no one could notice this because I, I never talk about my problems. And so I burned out and then we started losing clients and losing clients, not because we did a poor job, but because there was a change of directors or they had to pause their business to transform it into something else or they wanted to bring stuff in house. And suddenly it felt like the whole universe was telling me that I'm not in my right place. You know, like no matter how hard I try, everything is falling apart, including myself. And because, you know, we, we managed to overcome that challenge. And I was like, I'm just, something is not right. I'm not enjoying what I'm doing anymore. I'm really tired. I need a break. And, you know, now instead of looking for replacements for those retainers that we had, why don't we do something that the whole team is passionate about and it's video production. Mm. And this is where my husband stepped in massively and he likes, we, we really focused all, all of our efforts onto building like a video production business. And then at the same time, I had a chat with my friend who runs a big uh, agency here in Brighton. And I told him like, you know, like we've only been working with small startups and small businesses and it's always a challenge of the limited resources, etc. And he said, why don't you go after global brands? I'm like, come on, look at me. <laughs> I'm a 28-year-old foreign female founder, you know, who will ever trust me? It's who like, will do this? Who I'm will... an imposter. Yeah, yeah, I'm an imposter. Yeah, yeah, I'm a misfit. Like, how can I reach out to American Express and offer them my services? And he was looking at me saying like, Clearly, you have some problems with, you know, self-value. But he said the, the, the people in those big corporates, they're like people in those small organizations, but with bigger resources and more respect for their suppliers. And they're more willing to outsource. He said, mm. it's all in your head and you should just kind of release that mindset, you know, and just feel like you are, you are, you are worth those projects. And I, I, like, I'm not joking, like within the first four months from that conversation when I realized that I'm just letting go. Big companies, come on, come in here. We started working with Aston Martin, Lotus. Oh, wow. Like a, a major investment bank, which I cannot reveal, sadly, That's <laughs> on this podcast. So it just suddenly all those big brands started coming towards us, you know, and like through partnerships or directly. And I was like, Oh, so this is what the world can be, <laughs> you know, when like you, you work with companies that they have resource and they care about the high quality of work. And so, yeah, and this was the whole like transition. So marketing still stayed in the business. And like I said, it's like, a, you know, it's at the core of all of our activities. And we managed to bridge this gap between, you know, marketing and creative teams. And this is what our clients appreciate in us because usually video production is ordered by communications or marketing departments mm -hmm. but i speak their language i'm not like a, you have you, that background exactly yeah. so that's why like we kind of bond better and we deliver better results because i understand what are the kpis they have and how to fulfill them can i just say at least from 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 what i understand from your story so far you had two very pivotal moments in your career and your journey that were both influenced by mentors. One was from from what you're telling me. One was when you're looking to get a job in in a startup, and actually a mentor of yours said, 
you have all the traits to be a founder. Just go and just, do your bloody yeah. thing. Um, and then this other one where you you weren't really confident in in going after the big brands and you had someone talk you into and tell you that's not. And I think that this is such a such a important message in a sense because very often we all we get lost in our own head because we see our own world and we have our own biases and don't realize the potential that we have and it's only when someone when an external factor or someone external to your situation points it out that that you realize and sometimes you trust that person more than you trust yourself it's like oh Okay, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe I'm not. Maybe you might be right. You seeing something there, and I think that that's important. I've talked about mentorship in 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 previous um, occasions. It's very important to surround yourself by mentors, and that's why I do Misfit Founders so that people start opening up to certain ideas. And I think anyone, and this is one of the the sorrows that I have with aspiring founders and new founders, be it women or men, they don't think they need help until it's too late, right? And I, I would say that you were luck. I was lucky in my journey to have mentors. You were lucky in your journey so far to have those key moments with um, surrounded by one, two, three mentors to help you, to help guide you and give you advice. But so many young entrepreneurs out there don't think they need anyone. I just need to make sure that like, I, I'm just... If I do A, B, C, I'm going to be all right. But more often than not, those external views are very important. And that's, sorry, I, I just wanted to make this pause because I, I kind of saw that and every single pivotal moment also came with um, advice or guidance from someone. So that, I think that's very, very important. Absolutely. It needs to be someone external and most importantly, it needs to be someone you trust. Yeah. And quite often... It needs to be someone wise who is in your industry because both of those people, they were business owners mm -hmm. and one uh, had a digital marketing agency and sort of I started my digital marketing agency. He was actually my ex-boss. So that's why I trusted him that, you know, because I worked for him for three years and he saw my potential. And this is when we further discovered like, you know, what, should, what type of business should I start? He said, influencer marketing is such your thing plus content marketing as well and then this uh, the other mentor um he's running a successful business and yeah working with big global brands and like because i've seen him doing this you know being like i know that he did what i'm trying to achieve that's why i trust him i think yeah like when you're looking for a mentor you need to find not just someone random who's external yeah open-minded okay to talk with and you can trust but also someone who's actually done what you're trying to achieve. Exactly. And and they will show you all the shortcuts as well. For sure. And I do think that getting someone that is not 20 years ahead of yourself, but a couple of steps is also a good type of person to have in your network of mentors because it's fresh. And you telling, sto you telling stories about something that happened to your business uh, half a year ago is completely different than talking about the pivot moment in 2021 and uh, other bits of your uh, professional life. It, it's fresh. You, you can give a lot more details. And I find that's quite important. Yes, have those mentors that are 20 years 
uh, ahead of you and have that aged view on on things because that's very valuable also have peers that uh, you can you can have absolutely. as absolutely like you don't think that you just need to have one mentor you have one mentor maybe for building like long-term plans and then you have someone who's you know, the, the person who kicks your ass, like when you're just being a bit too scared and they're like, come on, friend, you know, I'll push you. It's like this type of person who will do like bungee jumping with you, you know, like, so you need to, and you know, all right, I come across this challenge. Who's the best person in my network to speak with? Does it need to be someone who had the same experience? Does it need to be someone who's just like a bit crazy and they're doing crazy things and mm. I just need to get a bit of confidence from them or it's someone else. So you always need to match your challenge with the right person. So do, a handful of mentors is a good idea. <laughs> and do you feel like you're getting that with um, your partner as well? So do you do you leverage each other and be, are each other's mentors as well? Uh, he's mentoring me in in the product. So he's the one who has education in video production. He's the one who has like eleven years of work experience in this industry. So he's driving how we do things and you know, on the latest technology developments and things like this, I mentor him as a businessman. So we have mm -hmm. those two different areas of expertise where we influence each other. But until, um, until, because I, I mentioned briefly that there is a program called uh, Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses, which I absolutely recommend to any any founder of a scale-up business out there you need to match a certain criteria there but so what what just happened to me is that I had a cohort of 70 businesses who are I was there the smallest business so there were people like you know like shooting for the stars and they were still on that program so we were at different stages but I could learn from every single peer of mine because they were all further ahead in there mm -hmm. like you know the revenue or the uh, headcount etc so, and we were doing this program together, building a business plan, and it was all done with the University of Oxford. So we had like the best teachers giving us some valuable information about how to run our business, but also we were learning from our peers. Right. And now I have this support network of 70 amazing entrepreneurs. And, like, and my business wow. has never grown faster than it's been in the last, since February, because this is when I joined that program. And it's just been revolutionary so it's still part of that program basically. Uh, i just i finished it. it so yeah i graduated right. end of may so it was a four-month program congrats on that um question you mentioned you have now that network of 70 do, do you still keep in touch with every single individual from that program yeah so we have we have a chat so which is like a 10ksb chat for our cohort mm -hmm. and also we have 10ksb girls because we know that you know mm. female founders come across different challenges compared to male uh, founders and also just different yeah different challenges different worries we might have so we have this support group as well and it's just so powerful there like people come to this whatsapp saying like oh, I just had like my employee coming to me and telling me that she's going to take me to court and like, what am I going to do? I thought, you know, I was doing the right thing. Or another person is saying, oh my God, I'm about to go on stage and present in front of like two and a half people and two and a half thousand people in the room. And it's also broadcasted like, you know, to like tens of thousands of people. Like, girls, I need that support now. And then suddenly <laughs> all those messages come through like, come on, you're going to do it. And then the same, like, yeah, we share there, like, the good news, the bad news, get support. It's just transformational. Like, honestly, it's, it's, it's so brilliant because I would say the challenges that we have as founders, 
-hmm. They're very different to, you know, like our friends who are employed, they'll never understand what keeps us up at night, but yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, we very do. true. Very true. And to be honest, that's, you know, um, shameless plug here. That's, what, that's one of the things that I'm um, trying to do long term with Misfit Founders community, um, have that support group for other founders that may not have had the opportunity to be part of programs like like the ones that um, that you were. So, yeah, I, I understand how important that is. Advice is really good. And and just opening up to others' perspective is is important as well. The the cheering is 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 awesome as well because it feels like you can you can do it. You can feel that you're supported by positive energy, and also getting advice on a variety of of topics and seeing others' perspective. Well, I've been through this and that, and I think that that's um, you know usually how how um, you should be doing this or here's my thoughts on on that topic that you're faced with at that point so yeah we do need more places like that and i'm really um happy to hear that i might actually reach out and get some details from you um sounds like a, an awesome program i might need to do that as well um question shifting gears a bit now talking about um your professional relationship with your partner now i have a business with my life partner the the difference with a lot of couples or families that have a business is that nikki and i met professionally mm. we were colleagues before we were life partners and throughout our existence as a family we've worked together in, in a professional setting so you could say that that's part of what built our relationship but for yourself, you met your partner um, before getting into a, a professional relationship. And I wanted to ask how that unfolded. Was, have you had any challenges along the way working with your life partner? Because I know so many people that want to get into a business with their, with their um, significant other. And it is a... Like, I'm, I'm really... When people ask me, oh, you... you have a business and sold a business, built and sold a business with your life partner. Should I do the same? I need to tread carefully on how I approach that discussion. No, exactly, no. because it's a different different uh, discussion, and I usually try to grill a lot more around their setup and their relationship, which sometimes can be odd because you're like kind of asking per personal <laughs> questions about two individuals. Um, relationship but in the same time if you ask me the question should i get in, into business with my uh, significant other well hold on a second because one either i'm going to refuse to answer to tell you whether or not or you need to give me more context around yeah. that so maybe anything that you can share about your experience with um building a business with your partner so far how yeah. that journey has been for you so obviously i met my partner uh, before I started my own business. So it was a few yeah. months before I lost my job and decided to start Inspahub. So obviously we met and then we found that we have shared values and that's what brought us together into a relationship. And then 
I was running my own business and I was hiring people in and he was doing his freelance career, traveling the world, doing live TV, you know, and like, and you're we a were journalist just, and he said, I need some of I that. I was like, I won't do this, mate. Like, can I just be like you? And then, you know, I'm like going from like a business meeting, like in Grim London in December, like, you know, feeling like I'm getting cold, like just feeling weak. And then he's calling me like, wow, I just found this private beach in Dubai. Like, it's just oh. so cool. I'm like, shut up now, mate. Like, you know, I'm so jealous of you. So. I saw him doing all this yeah. and I I was probably not honest enough with myself back then that I want to have the same. So I, I found the whole like, wo like world of his absolutely fascinating. So, and then when he, when I asked him to join the business, firstly, uh, I needed help. I didn't know that I was burning out and I needed someone whom I could trust. And I, I couldn't trust anyone more than my life partner. So that's why he, he joined the business. But at the same time, I had this ambition. Like, you know, I'm an ambitious female business person, you know, and I want my partner to be as well, a, a businessman. So I don't know, just somehow it came to me. And I was like, I think to, to keep this relationship going long term, I need someone who is with me on the same page, you know, someone who will be you know, not sleeping at night, worrying about the cash flow. You know, like I don't want right, to be yeah. alone whilst he's like exactly, enjoying his, yeah, you know, yeah. trips to Dubai. So that makes sense. Um, so, but because we like when he joined the business, and then you know we pivoted towards video production, we just had very separate responsibilities. So he's in charge of project delivery. I'm not stepping in there. I'm not saying like, how we're going to do this, you know, what equipment we're going to use it, like, you know, how logistically it's going to work. I completely trust him on project delivery. And he just trusts me, like, in terms of where I'm taking our business forward. So that was easy to manage, you know, because there were like, we, we didn't cross paths. But now he's stepping more into like a business development and sales. And this is where it becomes like a gray area because... Now we can come, like, we, we do come across problems like, oh, I thought you would do this. No, I thought you right. would do this. You know, like, oh, we, we need to hit those KPIs. Like, oh, I've, you know, and it's like, and obviously when you start having arguments in the office, you can't just switch off and be like, oh, hello, darling, how was your day? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very like, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, like, you know, like, this is how you feel. And this is, this is the problem, I'd say. Like, when we had those two separate areas of expertise, it was easier and now we need to create some sort of like a protocol, like, you know, like what are the responsibilities or maybe like, you know, this is your client, this is our client. Like we have our separate KPIs in terms of sales and like we still, we're still figuring out that structure not to cross paths as much and then not, you know, leave in the world where we have like high expectations of each other. And then when one doesn't meet them, yeah. then the relationship fails. Obviously, when the business is growing and everything is fun and, you know, we're traveling the world and we get to travel the world together because we now, you know, work on projects together. Yeah, we've been to Spain, Portugal, like going to, to Vegas like in October and you just get like all excited about this. But like when you come through the challenges, then you bring those challenges home and then things go down, you know, at home. And yeah. this is something that you need to figure out for yourself how you're going to keep those boundaries and... Yeah, I think that's that that is very key, and that's one thing that I've learned working with Nikki because we had the same thing. We had periods where we were bummed because we weren't getting along. Um, we had differences in terms of the business, certain things, decisions, um, strategy, and that would spill into personal life. 
boundaries and putting together structures around how you work with each other is very important. And also learning to detach your professional from your personal selves is very hard. And it's never, it's never going to be, oh yeah, okay, ah, oh, you, you done this, I done that, and then well, pause. Now we're a family. It, it, it is, it is difficult. So, but, but what you, what I usually tell people is that if you're able to tone down the intensity of your relation, your work relationship, then your personal relationship is a bit more safe, right? Because Absolutely. rather than being super intense emotionally with each other, you can't really not take that home. But if there, if, if you put structures in place to keep emotions and frequencies um, on a certain level and not take it to 120%, then you're more likely to not have that affect your Absolutely. Your and also life. you need to understand what is this business for both of you and have this really, really honest conversation. Because, you know, for me, InspoHub is like my baby. It's a, it's almost six years old. And, you know, I built this with my own hands. You know, I had to make so many sacrifices, including like, you know, even moving further away from my family and friends. And it's just... For me, it's like everything, you know, because I put so much effort into building this, like, yeah. you know, because obviously when my husband came into into the business, he already had loads to offer, yeah. you yeah. know, and maybe for him, the business is not like, you know, not the most important thing for him. And like, you know, when when you both know where you stand, you understand why people react differently to certain things because yeah. problems that when InspoHub has a problem, I, I'm so emotionally attached. I'm like, I'm having the problem and how can you give up on my baby? You know, mm -hmm. but it's my baby. It's not his baby. He joined the business when it was already like, you know, three years old and it, things were different back then. And that's perfectly okay. And that, I think that's, that's 100% understandable. Someone that comes in and it doesn't, it does matter, but maybe not that much what relationship you have with that person. The fact that it wasn't their focal point from day one of the birth of that specific project, initiative, company, is never going to be the same for that other person that is for you from a, from a sentimental attachment and way of thinking. But it's just recognizing that and putting certain boundaries and structures in place to know that hey look i'm going to be i'm going to have a bit more of a um, involvement here and here because i care you know a lot more i i have a lot more emotional attachment to this specific thing um you're really good at these things let's have you do these things and then you keep things a bit more more separate we nikki and i in the early days we were both on everything and we were on top of each other i would i would basically go in and say oh but why are we building this feature because i think my opinion is that it should be this and now i understand i i had this very opinionated um idea of how to build a product and what good experience and value looks like for our customers but i was very opinionated where nikki would spend her days and evenings doing research and learning about 
um, uh, customer experience and all of these things. And I would come in and say, oh, but no, but, and I had emotional attachment to, to my, to my business. So I was like a bit very hard to let go of certain parts because I had that emotional attachment. But in the same time, I realized, hold on, I'm going in and telling her how to do her job because she's the one that's spending her precious time on learning about these things. I don't, right? So although I'm, I'm quite emotional about this, this, let me find the avenue in the company for me to exercise my passion for my business. And I did, like I was doing a lot of the business, the operation, the marketing, the relationships, and, and I felt like I was... I had a really big say in in that, mm. and I would, it was it was it was a relief for me to be able to exercise for my business in that sense, where I completely let Nikki deal with the product, and all, all, I let her come to me when she needed a kind of like a bouncing board and a uh, and a person to to discuss about certain things. And I'll do the same with her. Yes, there would still be because we were equal partners in the business there'd still be things that we would have to take decisions together. But again, those were bigger decisions that we also learn how to operate with each other and how to structure those discussions in order to get to a rational, non-super emotional <laughs> outcome out of it. So, yeah. And I suppose, you know, with, with yourself as well, you want, because you've been there from day one, um, you want certain things to be um, the way you want it to be and have certain control in certain areas and so on. And again, I think is making sure that that's all outlined and discussed. And I don't know, did you ever, did you had a, when you decided, okay, let's have this business together because, and let's bring all of your filmmaking and broadcasting stuff. Did you have any sort of um, like agreement initially, or you do this, I do this, or anything like that? Uh, not really, no, because like like I said, since the first day I moved to the UK, we were just processing money through through the through the same yeah. entity. So we were fifty fifty uh, shareholders. So we were just taking money, you know, mm. as much as we need, <laughs> and yeah. so there was no like legal agreement on how things are run. So it was all like verbal. Uh, but obviously now, the more we grow, the bigger we grow, the more responsibilities we have, the more like complex pro pro processes we have. This is now the, yeah. the point where we are building the structure. And this is why actually the program I was telling you about, this Goldman Sachs program really helped me in terms of like, what's the structure of our business? What are the responsibilities, et cetera? So this is um, now we are in the process of building this up. Yeah. And what are the things that you're most passionate about um, in, in the business world what are the things that you like to do the most so when it comes to business development it's about meeting people and mm. trying to like i'm a problem solver you know like and i love meeting people learning about their challenges and figuring out like a solution abc how we can do things obviously get super excited when you know the project gets confirmed and the, mm -hmm. the we, we close the deal because what was quite frustrating for me in the marketing world is that it was an ongoing process you just never stop going you know there's no like a finish line it's just continuously you're doing this digital marketing we were not doing campaigns we were doing like ongoing marketing support yeah. for clients but with video production it's a lot more like it's shorter projects so i love this whole like process of like yes meeting new people going for their challenges and then closing the deal so this is when it comes to business um 
like development as well as building the structure and the processes and figuring out how we can do things more efficiently. But when it comes to uh, production itself, like, I love production. Like like you what you said, you know, like pre-production, I let my producers to work on this. Yeah. Production, I'm happy to wake up at 5 a.m., fill the van full of kit and just go somewhere. You know, we need to drive four hours. Cool, I'll be driving, you know, and like... You need an employee? <laughs> Can I get a job? <laughs> so, you know, 16 hours, you convert the room that had nothing in there into a studio, you know, and then, nice. you know, this magic of TV happens and then just have those like really, really long days. And then you go to like a pub afterwards to celebrate with the team, the success. And then you stay overnight, like in a, in a nice hotel somewhere. And then you travel back the next day. Like, but post-production is like, yeah, I do like an exact producer role, like I said, to, to make sure that we like, you know, that our content is inclusive, but I'm not there like really overseeing like the post-production process from like, you know, taking up the bits of interviews and doing all those things. So yeah. I'm not involved, but production itself, yes, that, uh, that's my jam. You have, a, <laughs> if I, you have my dream job if, <laughs> if, I would, if I would have a business in the, in the um, production uh, industry, uh, but I don't. Uh, <laughs> I'm a SaaS person. <laughs> <laughs> but one day, you know, the career change, why not? You never know. Uh, do, you, do you consider yourself a good salesperson? Yes, I would say so, but only when I feel uh, confident mm -hmm. in it. So because my background is in like marketing and in inbound marketing, so I usually, so my responsibility is the bring leads in and when the lead is, is warm, then I would close the deal. So whenever I meet someone in person, someone whose need I understand and I know that we have the capabilities of uh, fulfilling this need, my conversion rate is like 70%, you know, like I sell really well when we're at that stage. When it comes to like, you know, cold calling and cold emailing, I really struggle with that. So for me, it needs to be some sort of like, you know, a reference or like we part of the same community or mm -hmm. we know someone in common. So when I have this like, you know, like something in common with that person, it will be easier for me to build a relationship. Yeah. And this is something I've learned recently. Actually, this is the difference how men and women build relationships is that we as women, we build long-term relationships. That's why we care so much about like this bonding time, etc., and yeah. having things in common. Whereas men build relationships more transactional. It can be very short-term. Let's talk about money and like close the deal. And so, yeah, like when it comes to inbound sales, yes, I'll say I'm really good. When it comes to like cold, cold sales and, you know, cold emailing and calling like, oh, maybe I could be better at it, but I don't dare to try. Oh, you know, I'm, the, I'm exactly the same. So if it makes you feel any better, <laughs> I'm exactly the same. And you say you're probably right about, you know, men being a bit more upfront and like just going at it and just transactional and so on. But I'm not like that. <laughs> terrifies me to pick up the call and call someone that I, that I don't know. And, and it makes me anxious to basically have to pitch to someone that has no idea who I am or what I do. I don't know. It's just like I do thrive in a, in a, in a place where people know who I am. They heard about my company or what I do or anything like that. Because like you, like you said, I can relate so I can 
there's conversation starters and things that I can pick on and I feel more comfortable because that person already knows me in a sense. Um, you know, I feel that that's it, it, when we met for the first time, it was a lot more comfortable for me to to talk to you because it wasn't like we met at an event and I was heavily trying to pitch you uh, misfit founders. It felt that you, you know, you've seen it a couple of times on the timeline and, you know, you had an idea about it. Um, and because I have people come in and founders and ask me, how, how can I get better at selling? How can I get better at um, making relationships? Because a lot of the stuff that my company achieved, apart from hard work and, you know, marketing strategies and good products, but I build and nurtured relationships in the ecosystem that I was part of. And that helped massively because we, I was able to bring us at tables that the discussion tables that we didn't really had access before. And that was just because I was nurturing those relationships and keeping in touch with certain people and, you know, going out for a beer with someone that I knew or, and, and just without any single selfish type agenda, of yeah. agenda no just hey you know you work in the same industry let's keep in touch let's discuss let me see how i can help you with anything i'm here i'm available and that actually helped us probably a lot more than the effort that i put into maintaining those relationships and that's what i tell a lot of people and you know usually i do see men being a <laughs> bit like really i should reach out and just do random like conversations long, with people. <laughs> yeah, long game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's, that is very important. I think that's usually people that can sell through, for example, LinkedIn is because they build those relationships. It, I, I, I know a lot of influencers on that built of per, personality on, on LinkedIn and they sell and they thrive and they build businesses on LinkedIn. But it's not because they bombard people with cold messages. It's because their audience and their leads constantly see their content on their timeline. And then it's a lot easier to start a conversation. Even if you're not selling anything, right? It's a lot easier. If someone comes and says, oh, I love your content. Awesome start getting into a conversation. You don't sell to them. You don't go, awesome, can you buy this? No, you get into a conversation. And then eventually that will lead to a variety of things. It can lead to that person being a, a big advocate of what you do and your per persona, your influencer persona online or your courses or your services. Or it can lead to a direct sale or it can lead to a recommendation. Because you don't know yeah. whom they know. Like, this is what I say to, like, the people that I mentor, like, when other business owners ask me questions, I'm like, it's not about your first connections on LinkedIn. It's their connections. Yeah, exactly. So it's your second connections. It's your third connections. This is where the wealth of, like, opportunities and abundance comes into play. Like, I, I, I did, like, a, a program with, with a lady and um, we, we started chatting because she has, like, this charity thing. And then... I asked her, what do you do for a living? And she's, oh, that's boring. Let's just talk about my, my charity. And I was like, come on, you know, what is this? You know, what, what do you do? And she was like, I work with like at events for like 
big tech companies. I'm like, you must be kidding me. Like, this is my, <laughs> this is my gem. You know, she's like, okay, yeah, I'll introduce you, you know? And I was like, oh, wow, cool. You know, I just showed interest in her charity, but you know, I asked her a few more questions and I had no idea that mm. like this big contract can be coming for, for, for that person. Yeah, cool. it, 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 to, to add to your example, you know, that's a very pure example of how you get business. Because a lot of people, usually founders and business owners complain, I don't know how to generate business. Here's a very simple example. I'll give you another example. When Nikki and I were, my, I mentioned our history and the fact that we, for the first two years of our business, we were working side of this. We had jobs. And then when we realized, oh, we're starting to get revenue and we really want to focus on this, we wanted to find um, investors, someone that could fund us to be able to quit our jobs and do this full time. And because we started building a network in our uh, ecosystem and we started knowing people, um, I've met Christian, which became our angel, first angel investor. Um, at a hackathon event. And then we kept in touch. I helped um, him and his company with some of the um, user tracking analytics that we were doing. And then we had another call to talk about something that was happening in the ecosystem, but just like peer support, connection yeah, yeah, yeah. and support and so on. And just randomly, I mentioned to him over a call that we had about something that was happening in the ecosystem. I randomly mentioned because um, he asked me, oh, you, you moved city, what are you doing there? And I mentioned, well, I'm looking to potentially get an investor for our business so that we can focus full time. Oh, actually, I'm looking to invest in, in, in companies like yours. Let's talk. So again, it's like just pure coincidence, just because. So that's what I'm saying. A lot of the times, if you build genuine connections and you build a network of people, you will be able to achieve the things that you want to achieve. It's going to come, even if you don't focus on it per se, because I know a lot of people that are like me and like you that are very anxious to pick up a call and start just randomly calling, cold calling. I'm never going to do that. Even if I have a business. Why, why bother? Because you know that your way of, and my way of, of getting new business is actually mm. for building new relationships and nurturing them. For, for other businesses, it might be possible that, you know, like insurance companies or phone companies, they ring and they might sign someone up or like energy companies. Yeah. But like, I would say, especially in the service industry, like, you know, how can I sell anything without... Hey, like, let me sell you some broadcasting <laughs> solution. Yeah, like, you know, it's a service. So it's definitely a transaction between two human beings, you know, like, yeah, yeah and I'm supposed to serve you. And yeah, we need to get to know each other for that. So... Although, you know, and, you know, I understand it in a way, but I don't agree with it. There's so many people that say you have to, if, if you want to do business, you have to cold call at least in the early days yourself to harden yourself. And I actually just had a last week, a podcast guest, which was in sales and mentioned the same thing. It's like, you know, that hardened me. I don't think it's for everyone. You know, and again, it comes, it comes to me, it comes and, you know, my guest didn't mention, oh, everyone should be doing selling. I think, you know, I'm hoping that at least I have guests that are a bit more open-minded in that sense and inclusive because that feels to me 
when I when I see people preaching, these business gurus preaching, if you haven't done a cold sale in your life, you can't go through business without doing a cold sale. You have to toughen up. That to me, flashback to what you said about the um, filming industry, about, you know, the saying, oh, pick, yeah. the, pick it by, by the pants and hold it tight. <laughs> and so it, it feels that kind of very brass approach to doing things. And and honestly, I don't think that every single type of founder, persona, character would benefit from that. I, I know that if I start doing cold calling and I, and I have people hanging up on me or swearing at me, uh, that's going to demolish me. Uh, uh, kind of like morale wise and just make me close myself a bit and then say i'm not good enough yeah i can't handle rejection so you know i'm like no especially yeah when you understand like you know when you pitch like for tenders or projects and then yeah you get a no not every yeah, yeah, not exactly. every deal you know gets closed but then you understand the reason so the price is too high or you know mm. this or that and you're like, okay, I understand. It's nothing personal. But I yeah. think if you're cool calling someone, like you'll think it's definitely me. It's definitely me. Because yeah. they only heard my voice. They haven't seen my business. <laughs> they hate me for some reason. You're 100% accurate with this. and Because, yes, it's not like you can't take rejection. I, you know, there, people that can't take rejection um, probably shouldn't, be on their own on the decision making chairs that's that's my opinion right but it is the type of rejection that you get because again if i'm in a doing a demo like yourself and having a conversation with with a potential lead and they tell me no because of these reasons then i can take that on i'm more than happy i analyze okay so that, that those are the reasons this is where i need to adjust this but like you said, it can be very emotionally draining and damaging for someone to say, you know, I hate your voice. I don't know who you are. Bye. Um, I can't stand you or whatever. Screw you. Goodbye. It feels just, it, it, it's just like a punch in the gut in a sense. And yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. You have to be made of different type of material to, to be able to take that on. And there are people, there are people that are sales uh, folk that, thrive in that environment and kudos to them but we're all we're not all made of the same material yeah i don't know my business has been here for six years i haven't done a single cold call you know like i i think that's another example saying like just figure out your own way of doing sales and you know for someone it's cold calling for someone it's natural relationship or someone it's linkedin for another one it's inbound marketing just find your gem because you need to be enjoying this because to be able to sell you need to have the energy you need to have interest in that business just make sure, like you said, you have an ecosystem. You shouldn't be spreading yourself too thin. Like, mm. like in our case, video production, let's sell it to anybody. Like a bloke who runs a corner shop somewhere near Preston Park, <laughs> you know, doesn't give a damn anything about yeah. my video production. You know, like I need to understand this is the product. This is the problems that it solves. Who is going to be benefiting from this? And then you build the ecosystem and you put your energy in there because... Energy is limited, so you need to make sure that, you know, you put this into the right places and spend it on the right people. And what are some of the some of the challenges that keep you up at night? What are some of the things that, it, you know, you got to where you are today, you have a quite successful growing business. 
Um, but what are those areas of your business that you're like, oh man, like I'm, I'm, I'm always concerned about this and this is how I cope with that. Yeah, so uh, my business used to be a marketing agency and we had retainers. Like I said, I never had a problem with mm -hmm. the cash flow. I just knew how much cash comes every, every month and how much cash is going to come the next month and the month after. With video production and the project-based work, I don't know. Mm. And the biggest challenge for us now is to figure out like what type of retainers we can get so we can plan ahead because over, especially since the war and the, the, you know, what's happening currently, like in the UK, economically, like you just don't plan ahead and you don't know when that next check is going to come in for, and then you have liabilities and responsibilities and how you're going to manage those. So cash flow is definitely a big issue for like this is what keeps me awake at night just knowing where the cash is going to come from and sometimes you know that oh like you know september october we're going to be super busy but then oh what are we going to do you know this month and just like not being able to predict is something that really really freaks me out and i'm just trying to figure out ways of how to build retainers and how to be able to forecast it better and of course cash reserves is something that every business should have because you just yeah. never know how everything can get so dry out of a sudden, especially with like external effects, you know, mm. challenging what's happening within your business. Like it happened in the marketing industry last year. Are you bootstrapped? Yes. So you have never had any um, funding, any loans, anything like that? That's like, I honestly <laughs> commend you. Um, we were bootstrapped until we weren't. Uh, and I always, I always find um, fascinating being able to. I had a corporate loan, like a corporate loan when I started the business. So I took 12,000 euros. Mm. So that, that was my, yeah. yeah. But, but again, so that's, loan, yeah. yeah, that's, um, you don't yet, or is actually, let me, let me ask this question. Okay. Is it something that you want to um, avoid or as in, I hate, um, uh, getting investment or giving parts of my business to um, investors or was it just we never needed so i would say it's the emotional attachment to the business and why i want to keep full control of what's happening there so mm -hmm. you know i i want to get consultants on board or mentors who will help me you know bring the business to the next level but i don't want someone internally like you know telling me you owe, like you know, I put money in your business, so you're gonna do what I'm saying you to do. It was probably 2000 something like 18. There was a company that was willing to buy Inspahub, and they wanted to do this on the terms like 51, 51 percent, 49%, with them having 51% of the shares. Right. Okay. And I was like, no, no way. I'm, I'm not doing this. Okay, I'm gonna dig into that Come a tiny on. bit. Why was that? Was it is because some people are like quite attached to to their business. It's their baby. They don't want to give it away. They don't care that much about the the monetary part. Was it was it that you really wanted to keep control of the company because you love that business a lot? Was it that the what they propose in terms of financial reward wasn't enough? Or was it that the terms weren't? What what the, what? It was the terms. That? So they would 
own the business and that would be the the decision maker but also it's about the culture that i knew they would bring into the business and when i started the business uh for me like i started a people first agency so Mm -hmm. i wasn't driven by profits i was driven by giving the space for creative people to do what they love and uh you know to have this freedom of speech the freedom of creativity and you know this inclusive supporting atmosphere so yeah, that was the reason why I rejected the money. Of course, you know, when I struggle like financially and I'm worrying about my cash, I was like, oh, God, if I just had the cash, you know, I just like all my sorrows will go away. But yeah. when but when you recover from another cash flow situation and you're like, oh, I enjoy my freedom. <laughs> but there is another business that I'm thinking like once Inspahap is mm. at the place where we want to, it to be. It will be like there. There is a business idea that uh, me and my husband have been discussing for a few years now. Uh, but to pull this together, it will be also something related to video production. Like this, we will build a separate entity, and we will uh, raise funding for that. Let's talk about that. <laughs> I'm an angel investor, and uh, I'm interested in this industry. So okay. let's let's talk about it. Is it off mic or is it now? <laughs> we can talk off mic. It's fine. Yeah, cool. Um, right. I wanted to ask you something because there was something that stuck with me when Christina, because Christina from Southeast Angel introduced us, and she described you as a powerhouse, okay? Um, And I want to figure out what that means to you. You also mentioned that, you know, when you're looking to, considering of getting a job in a startup, uh, you had a mentor that said you have all the traits to be a founder, just go and do your own thing. So, you know, based on these two things, there's there's stuff there. There's some skills, some talent, some, and I want to understand from you, you know, I know that you can't put yourself in those people's shoes, right? The, that said you have these skills or you, you're a powerhouse and so on. But how do you see what makes you a founder? I'm a natural leader and I've always been this way. Like, you know, since the kindergarten, I would organize kids into the groups and then we'll do performances and everyone knows what they need to do. And I'll, you know, like be like this little control freak, just making sure everything runs smoothly. So I was always that person that everyone would trust and just I'll say, we go this direction, everyone follows me. Mm -hmm. So I've always had that natural power of persuasion, like taking people to places where they naturally probably wouldn't be. So that's one thing. Another thing is just due to my background, I had, uh, yeah, I, I, my family is dysfunctional family. And so I had a very challenging upbringing for many different reasons, but I managed to go through them. And, you know, now I'm this kind of like, as my husband calls me, you're a tough soldier, you know, like I never give up. Like when I look back at the journey I had to go through to come to this point, I'm like, a call, call. That's okay, actually. You know, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give them a call. Like, you know, I'll be fine with that. It's just like when I look back and look at what I had to do to come here. Like, it, it just feels weird to give up now to take this one little step further. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm just someone who never gives up. And if I have a focus on something, like you know, if I really, really want something and know the reasons why I need to get it, I'm making possible possible. So and how does that this this toughness and this determination manifest? Give me some example because I'm I know that there will be people out there that listen to that and think 
but what does that mean? Because I want to see if I relate to that. What are some of the things like, for example, if you if you need if you want to do something, how does that manifest your character being um, a bit more um, of a leader and, and more tough and so on? How how does that give me an example of I don't know a day in the life of you when you get through something that you really need to solve a big okay. challenge i think it's just the the most recent one because i, I love telling the story so i've just recently moved the office this is where you you you, you met me mm -hmm. and because we needed to sort out the termination period with our current place and i was still deciding on the room that i wanted in a new place and whilst i was trying to navigate these things uh the new office called me and they said it's gone the other company signed this up i'm like Give me a call now. You know, <laughs> this is when I realized, like, you know, I really, really need to get this office, but mm -hmm. I first need to sort out the, you know, the termination with that. So, but I knew immediately, like, I need that space. It's my space. You know, I don't care who signed the contract. I'm gonna get it. So I called the call, call <laughs> the company, and I said, like, I need this office. And they said, but it's gone. I'm like, I know you TNCs, and I know that there is a way out of this. Like, I really, really need it. Like, I don't care what guys you need to do, but I hope you'll be able to win both of our companies. And by the end of like the, this day, like I managed to get the office back, you know? But I was just having the conversation with someone who picked up the phone and they said, Kate, the ship has sailed. You know, you should have signed the contract earlier saying that yeah. it's mission impossible. You know, these people own this, you know, they own this. I'm like, no, 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 no. I need that space. So I just felt like, I felt the far inside mm -hmm. that told me like, I need to have it. And suddenly, all the worries, all the lack of confidence, all the overthinking just disappears. Like when you have this strong connection with like, you know, I really just something inside is telling me like, you know, you, you need to go for it. I just don't know where the whole energy comes in. It's just kind of like a wave, you know, you, you could be like, you know, like feeling very sleepy and very tired, but suddenly this outburst of energy and you're like, I need to get it. And then the brain starts quickly figuring out different ways. That's the beauty of being part of a dysfunctional family is that like since a young age, you need to figure out how to fix problems. And then like, you know, solution A, B, C, like this is how I can get this fixed. So yeah, off we go. So it sounds like it's something that you grew up with and had to adapt while you were growing up. Um, it does sound to me the, the, the manifestation of you being tough and a leader from what you're saying from this example is not going down without a fight in a sense, right? Like, cause, cause I know a lot of, a lot of people and I'm sometimes myself like that as well. I have my moments. Um, I would, I would say that I have moments when I'm like you and moments when I'm like, leave it. Right. And I think I may be losing opportunities by not being by not pursuing further a bit more because it it works wonders and and i tell people we had a our community call our misfit community call and i was talking to someone in our in our call and mentioning you know it said something like oh i don't do follow-up calls because they never work but the reality is they do work 50 percent of the business comes for follow-ups yeah and and the reason why is because once you persist once you have that follow-up um a lot of the times the reason why people don't make it happen for you is because of other factors around them is very rarely that you know oh i mean it, it does happen that someone just doesn't want your business but more often than not they would tell you hmm. right um 
if they're silent and they don't reply to your follow-up, yeah, they don't want your, your business. But more often than not, they will. And with your example, it feels like, you know, oh, well, we gave that away ads. Okay, she, she's going to understand. And I think as soon as you called back and said, I really need that. And I'm, I'm really, I was looking forward for this and I really need that. Please make it happen. Help me make this happen. That people start started thinking, okay, right, solution mode. Exactly, and I think that's the one thing because I had I have my moments as well, and I'm where when I was with with the team, you know, I know we're in, in this rubbish period, but we need to make it happen. We need to figure out. So let's push, and I and I pushed the team, this and is, and that went into solution mode, and we found. And this is the empathy we were talking about earlier today, you know, because you're an empathetic person. If someone comes to you with a genuine request, like I was, very authentic, saying, "Mate, I really need this office. I love it. It's going to perfectly work for my business." I'm sorry I couldn't sign the contract earlier because of this and that, but I'm here right now. You know, maybe for those people who are like competing against me, it doesn't matter. Like another office upstairs will do them, you know, yeah. but it's not a deal breaker. But for me, it's a deal breaker. Could you please? And because the other person on the, on the other side, they were empathetic enough and they wanted to have my business in their premises, they met me halfway. So like they kind of got the energy from me. And then, you know, the magic started happening. Yeah. But empathy is key here because if people don't care, then... It is, yeah. No matter how persistent you will be, you know, you are not going to get the, the, the desired outcome. You're, you're, you're very right with that. And I think the lesson here is persist. Do have that second pickup, that second interaction. But you have to have it with the right person. Exactly. Because if you're, you know, if you would have been in, I don't know, one of these bigger WeWorks and you were calling and talking to reception about, uh, but I really need that, whatever, we, we can't, we, we gave it away. Those, those are my instructions from, from my managers. There's nothing I can do. Exactly. It, right. Yeah. Agree. Right. Before we close, um, is there anything that you want to talk about? Is there anything that you want to ask me? about um yeah you know we talked about the cash flow and how life may get easier when you get cash and obviously like you started your business with nothing you know like with you and nikki and putting all your energy in there and then you managed to get investors on board focus solely on your entity and then you did the exit mm -hmm. so how did your life change after exit after exit well First of all, we, you know, you're talking about having those, those moments where, you know, you can't sleep because you're thinking of your business and so on. That doesn't exist anymore, right? The stress ta and taking stress home doesn't exist anymore. And that's exciting because, you know, right now we work for the company that, that bought us. But it, I won't say that I finish at six, whatever, whenever I finish my eight hours and I don't think at all about the business, the, about my work. But I think it's it's more of a constructive and positive thinking of, oh, wow, I could potentially do this um, around this initiative that I'm working on. So it's a lot more of a laid back attitude towards work, which is normal, right? Um, I think it, to put a parenthesis here, I think it mattered a lot for us to find the right environment for, for us and our team. Mm. Like the right culture, the right people to work with. 
so that rather than being bittered and stressed about work, right? You, I think you and I both had bad experiences in the past around work and stuff. Yeah. Um, But we found the right team. So now the stress is not the same intensity. And that's one of the biggest things. And we don't feel guilty to spend time outside work, to book holidays. Every single time I had, uh, I was booking a holiday or a a short trip with Nikki and and stuff, I, I would feel guilty. It's like, oh, I should be working for my business. Like I'm leaving my business, my baby, did just like that for a couple of days. But I right now it's, you know, as as much as and I think this is one of the things that founders, CEO, and leadership of big companies need to realize. Once you hit a certain number, new people that you bring in will not care the same way about your business, the way you care about your business, the way the people at the very start that joined you at the very start care about the business. And it's the same thing that you mentioned with you and your your husband, right? So you you had that business for a lot longer. There's going to be differences in how he thinks and, and, um, uh, and uh, emotes about yeah. the business versus you. So... It's odd to me that sometimes you see these big companies um, and and they they think that their employees should have the same involvement and the same emotional attachment to their business when it's complete um, bollocks in a sense. Hmm. And, and I think I'm, I'm I'm in a company that is you know now seven eight hundred people and kind of realizes that you know and and empowers people to grow and and pursue their careers and that's what matters at that point when you're working for a bigger company your 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 career growth and what you pursue matters a lot more so for me putting in the work the time the energy in the business that bought our in the company that bought our business is a lot for me right i care about what they do as well but the fact that our paths align quite well with what the business wants versus what I want as a professional growth is is, is magic when that happens, mm-hmm. right? So just to, sorry, I went a bit of on a detour, <laughs> but just to get back to, to your question, how life changed, how things changed for us is um, I am, it, it, and, and you know, people, people say, is it really going to be once you get an exit and you're financially secured is it really going to be that switch? It was 100%. Like I can tell you. you know, so people, what was it like to it, have this like the switch? Like I don't need to worry about money for now a certain period of time. It helps you look about look at your future professionally. Let's talk professionally. It helps you look at your future with a different type of mindset. It's not the chasing anymore. It's not mm. the... I need to make a living. I need to provide. I need to make sure that I um, work myself to the ground to sustain something. It's you start thinking, how do I build on top of this? How do I build on top of what we achieved as a couple? How do I grow my professional? And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm making misfit founders and all of these things. These are, these are, thoughts and and desires that came after that exit, right? 
always wanted to do something for the founders community, but it was always a fleeting thought, right? Something like, yeah, it would be great, but I don't have time. I need to survive, right? That's, and I think that's what we all founder, founders of, of, of a, you know, of a first company where you say you don't have a big wealth behind you feel that you're always in that survival mode. And for us, once we exited and got our payouts, it stopped being about survival. And, and it all of a sudden started becoming a lot more strategic of where do we want to head with our careers? What do we want to build? What kind of legacy? How do we want our future to be? And you have the, the time, that you have the luxury of time to really think that through. And it's hard, it's hard because I've always been a very fast pace, always had this FOMO. I think I have ADHD. I need to check myself. I need to go through and figure out. I've always been like a very fast pace. And in the first days when, you know, when we got acquired and it, it, it was just the first weeks and first months, actually, it was just, what do I do? I, I, and like, I feel that I'm, I'm, I'm pacing in the same place and I'm not doing anything. And I did feel all of a sudden that, that safety, emotional safety, financial safety and so on. But I still feel, felt a bit itchy around doing stuff. So I had to kind of like take fulfillment. a step. Yeah, yeah. Something, I, is, something is missing, even though like all the basic things that everyone around you tells you you need to have, yeah. you suddenly have it, but the, the itch is still there. And you feel that safety now all of a sudden. So it's not anymore about um, surviving. So you don't feel the survival need that much, but you still itch. You're like, I feel useless if I'm sitting around and, and not producing at 150% capacity because that's what you got used to. So I had to take a step back and realize if I am impulsive about this and just jump head straight into initiatives and project, be it at work, be it outside work, um, just because I have this itch, then, really you know, it, it might backfire. I might get burned out again. I might get into it. So I had to learn to step back and just slowly figure out what my strategy with my professional future looks like. And I think now I'm a lot more comfortable. And and I think that's what gave me. Now, it really depends because I've heard so many people that exited and they just couldn't stand still. And they they never lost that survival feeling, right? The, the need for survival. It didn't matter how much money they, they, they accumulated as wealth. They constantly feel like they can lose it every single day and continue to to grind and and put a hundred fifty percent. But I think it's a psychological thing as well because I learned to appreciate the value of money in a sense. And again, from mentors, if I was on my own, you know, when initially when we wanted to sell, we wanted to sell for a certain amount, and and it was just that amount that would make me at peace but then I had to sit down with people that sold before me and realize that the value of money is different and it, you don't need that much money to be to be happy and to be not necessarily happy because money money don't give you happiness but what it gives you is that a bit that that um 
assurance and that peace of mind. It's an instrument. It's not the goal. Yeah, exactly. And eventually that leads to happiness because you're less stressed, you're less intense, you don't don't get that impulsive and so on. And, and you can just chill and take decisions a bit more rational. And when you do that, your heart rate goes a bit lower than it used to, 120 BPMs per whatever and per minute. And, and you feel better, more refreshed. You feel healthier. You feel... All of these things where, you know, you felt when when I was had a business and I had to survive, I felt like everything ached and I would die the next day because I'm always intense and, and so on. So I, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of what it gave. It gave us, the, the in a sense, the we're not the 20-year-old the kids anymore that hack through things and live life at 150 miles an hour. You know, we've learned to slow down. We learn to um, enjoy certain moments and learn to really think things through um, of what it means. Do I still have the what now feeling and um, the out of place and that I don't know what to do with myself? Yes, I haven't yet found what it means to be me in the next five years. But I'm heading there. I know that I'm heading there. I know that I'm heading there more that I if that I knew if I would go 150 miles an hour still now if you know what I mean because yeah, you just go and do things process. just try and break and you don't have certainty in five years from now but but you know you're trying your absolute best at 150 miles you can crash and burn or you can make it whereas now it's not a sprint anymore it's a marathon and taking things um, a bit more calculated. And I, and I do have a lot more confidence that in five years, um, I'm going to be in a place that I'm happy about and proud about. I don't know. Talking a bit, a, a lot cryptic here because I don't know what else to give you in that sense. So, all right, we're going to check where you are in five years then. Oh, yes. Yeah. Keep me, keep <laughs> me a, accountable in that sense. Um, I'm going to close it with uh, my... Uh, I call it a routine uh, uh, ending uh, ritual, ritual, if you want to call it like that, which is three questions for you. Um, one first one being, what's a quote that you live by? So my favorite quote is, it's better to regret what you've done than what you haven't. Yeah. Do you regret anything uh, from your from your career? Do you feel like like deep regrets on any decisions that you took since you started your business? Not really, no, because no, with time you look back and you think, oh, that was like, oh, that was a stupid mistake. I could have avoided that. But then you understand you won't be able to make those good decisions if you didn't have this um, experience. So you do need to trust the process and sometimes you do need to live through those like hideous experiences so that in the future they take you towards the right direction. So, no, no regrets. But, but do you regret not taking an action at certain points? Uh, like I said, I usually take action. So I so right. I don't need to regret okay. not taking action. I was trying to validate <laughs> validate your quote, uh, but it sounds like it's valid given, given your experience with it. Um, book. Tell me about a book that changed your life, either professional or personal life? So the, the first book that came to my mind is Manifest 
by Roxy Nafusi. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a seven-step guide to meditation. It's something that I never thought of in the past. This book just magically appeared on my bookshelf. So my husband ordered it. <laughs> and like usually I'm the one who's bringing books into Are the house. Are you sure he ordered it? Maybe it really magically Maybe appeared. Maybe it magically <laughs> appeared there. And I was like, what the hell is this? And I was like, manifest. And I was like, oh, it's those people who put like, you know, those like, Dream boards like with pictures from their mm-hmm. magazines. Like, oh, it's that crap. So I, I was like, all right, it looks pretty. I'll open it and see what they say. You know, and I was like reading through like the first chapters and like being so skeptical, so suspicious. Like it's just some, you know, it's crap. Mm-hmm. Like I don't understand all this. And then eventually I got to understand it. And this book actually was the beginning of my spiritual growth because as an Eastern European kids, you know, they teach you that you need to take care of your body as a woman, you need to take care of your looks and you need to take care of your mind and your mm-hmm. brain. But no one talks about the feelings and your soul that you actually need to develop this connection between you and the real you. And the manifest, this book was about, yeah, this book gave me the opportunity to start developing myself on the spiritual level. And this has been the biggest transformation for me. And this transformation changed how I behave in relationships with my family, with my partner, with my friends, uh, as a business uh, person, as a leader. It just affected so many areas of my life. And I started actually growing and developing a lot quicker when I started building this connections, uh, connection with my inner self. I need to read that. That sounds um, a very as a very powerful book. And to be honest, I am the type of person that believes in manifestation you were using that word quite quite a few times uh, yeah. during our conversation but not in the sense of you know uh i'm just gonna think and it'll automatically happen more of a and this is what nikki and i did we we, were, we really desired our future to be like this really wanted to buy our house really wanted a second dog really we were picturing that life that personal life and to be honest, that impacts the decisions that you take moving forward, right? If I didn't picture that feature, maybe I wouldn't have sold at, you know, at this stage. Maybe I would have been stubborn around certain decisions that I would have taken. But we, we, we wanted that future personal, even professional, because we were, we were imagining being part of a, a larger team and working with interesting, cool people, being part of this company's growth and so on. So, and we really wanted that. So we took decisions subconscious at times that took took us to that place, right? Yeah, and it's not enough just to have a vision board. And this is why I actually like this book because it's seven steps. It's not just about put a vision board and hope for the best, you know, like the law of attraction will work and magically you can just lay on the sofa, watch Netflix, have a glass (laughs) of wine in your hand and everything will happen. No, you do need to work your ass off, but you need to work your ass off towards a particular goal because if you don't know what's your destination, you're just going nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Well, really good. sounds like a really good book. And then uh, the third bit, what is a good habit that you... um, advocate for as part of this like manifesting journey i discovered meditation Mm -hmm. and this is the habit that i now preach to everybody it's something that i couldn't do on my own i tried many times it didn't work out like my thoughts were going too crazy and like i I just 
couldn't do this properly. And then I did the special course and now I have like a mentor who is like your spiritual guru, so to speak. And it's just, it, like I started doing this like in April this year. And again, it's just what meditation does to me is just unreal. Like, you know, from like those morning meditations when I'm planning my day and this is when I envision, you know, how we'll be overcoming any of the fears and challenges, etc., and empowers me. Or it might be like late afternoon where I feel like, oh, I need to dig this trauma and see mm. how it goes, you know. And then the, the, you have a very deep meditation. You come out of it and like you're crying, like, you know, like 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 you just un unleash some like very difficult emotions within you and you feel lighter and you feel more energized from this or like having the meditation before going to bed and just thinking about all the wonderful things you've done today all the karma seeds that you planted, all the wonderful conversations you had with people, feeling so grateful and coming to sleep in this state. And all of this helps you to have this connection with your inner self. And with like, you know, when we ask for advice, it's usually you just need like a sounding board really because all the true answers, the, the wisest person you'll ever meet is you within. There is like very wise old lady living in there, you know, and she knows what I need and she knows right. what I want and she knows how to get there. I need to ask. And the only way to be able to ask, I need to get into the meditative state. So like when you were saying the heart rate goes, you know, mm -hmm. like slows down, your, your brain starts operating on lower frequencies as well. And this is when you are able to hear your inner voice. So meditation is a great habit to, to try. Yeah, I I fear that I would get too emotional. I can get very emotional when I get deep into my thoughts. I might be whipping, crying like a like a baby if I, if I start doing that. But I probably should give it a try as well. Lots of people worry about going into therapy or going into meditation because of that. Mm. But the the truth is that all those traumas and all this pain it just sucks so much energy out of you. You know, like that you could repurpose into helping other founders, you know, or, yeah. you know, fighting for gender equality and all the other things. And currently just this energy just goes to kind of suppressing those emotions. And eventually you're the only one who's suffering. So sometimes it's important to let go. Well, you need to uh, probably need to talk to you a bit more around how you got into that and um, and potentially um, for me to, to give it a try as well. Well, um, thank you so much. High five. Um, I think that we just scrape the you know the top of the barrel i don't know i'm really bad with english metaphors like i've oh, i don't I, blame you i'm not english myself so. yeah uh, yeah foreigners eh? um <laughs> misfits yes misfits i think that we've just scraped the the very top of it i really want to have you back at some point in the future maybe season two of of the podcast i do want to dig deeper into the conversation around um, female founders and some of the challenges that you're facing and um, you faced as a, as a female founder, some of the biases, some of the things. I do see a lot of this all the time with my co-founder, Nikki, and I do want to vocalize that on the podcast a bit more. So um, given that you're a big advocate, would love to have you back and, and dive into some of that as well as maybe some of your progress from now on until, until we see each other next. Absolutely. Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you.